The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jer McCarthy, and you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at jermccarthy 74 On this week's show, our special VIP guests are manager Stephen O'Keefe, coach Lee Moore, and Cork City FC player Evie Donnelly of the UCC Women's Futsal Soccer Team heading to the European Futsal Championships in Croatia next month. Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me to preview the Austrian Grand Prix and has all the latest F1 off-track headlines, including the return of F1's updated sprint format and Wrexham FC's well-known investors getting involved in Formula One. Cork LGFA senior manager Shane Ronan is on the big red bench to preview the Rebels' must-win All-Ireland clash with Tipperary in Clonakilty on Saturday. And we hear from Clonakilty LGFA chairperson Yvonne Ryan about the West Cork Club getting ready to host their second high-profile LGFA match of the year. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. This week's Big Red Bench VIP guests are members of the UCC Women's Futsal Soccer Team, heading to the European Futsal Championships taking place in Split, Croatia in July. Manager Stephen O'Keefe, coach Lee Moore and Cork City FC player Evie Donnelly join me on the bench to talk about the upcoming championships, how football is progressing brilliantly in UCC and beyond, plus a whole lot more. Now on the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast, I am delighted uh, to be joined here uh, by members of the UCC Women's futsal soccer squad that are heading to the European Futsal Championships in July. We are joined uh, by Stephen O'Keefe, who is the manager. Stephen, how are you? How are you, Jer? I'm all right. I'm doing okay. We're joined by one of the coaches, Lee Moore. Lee, how are you? Doing now, Jerry, yourself? Ah, should you know. Struggling on. And uh, we're also joined by one of the players who will be taking part in, the Europe, in this European competition. Um, and that is uh, from Cork City FC, Eveen Donnelly. Uh, Eveen, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, it's a busy time for you. You're the fast approaching. Um, uh, your first appearance at European University's Futsal Championships uh, in over 13 years for UCC. So, uh, Avine, I'm going to start with you. Um, when and why did you first start uh, getting involved with Futsal with UCC? Um, it would have been this year. So, we have the Evanside team that... We would have, I'm in second year now, so it would have been with that last year as well. And then it was just Stephen had the idea this year to enter a futsal team and kind of asked from the 11-a-side team who would be interested. And for most of us, I think it was kind of a no-brainer. Um, try something a bit different as well. And we knew it would contribute for fitness as well to the 11-a-side team. So just kind of picked it up then. And we used to have our separate trainings then, uh, futsal and 11-a-side. Yeah, and uh, Avine, just on that, it's a fantastic sport because it's indoor, it's non-contact, and it's like I mean, it's full on when it's played at the at the top speed. So I mean, you have to be particularly fit, but you also need that first touch. Is that the kind of thing that futsal does for a footballer like yourself? Improves the touch, you know, cardiovascular, all the good things that come from it, and also look, it's, it's I presume it's very enjoyable to be part of it. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of benefits from it that you can bring into the eleven aside. I suppose it was handy as well, kind of during the winter when the weather wouldn't have been the best. We had that inside training session as well that wasn't going to be cancelled due to pitch or weather or anything like that. But yeah, definitely you can bring, you can see the fitness from us. You'd be wrecked during those games. And I know in Croatia now they're going to be even longer than the ones here. So we'll have a cut out for ourselves. But um, like you said as well, first touch, it's a bit different actually to 11 aside. We had... um, 
a man from Futsal Ireland in with us uh, two weeks ago and he was kind of showing us how to do the first touch differently. You know, it's more the sole of foot, which you wouldn't be using in the 11 aside. Um, so it's a bit different in that way, but there's definitely still things you can bring over. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, I love that too. Yeah, not having to train outdoors in the winter is always good. Futsal becomes very yeah. popular, I imagine, indoors. Um, Stephen O'Keefe, as the manager of the UCC team that's going to the European University's Futsal Championships in Croatia, a lot of organisation involved, a lot of red tape, I would imagine, before you even get out there. Why has why is it that you haven't competed in so long, and uh, how much are you and everybody in the group looking forward to it? Um, I suppose everyone's looking forward to going, and I suppose since we started the journey and the process in 2021, it's about building and it's about bringing the players through college, but also giving them the college experience through sport. While also, as all the girls know, the education is hugely important. But when they come in to train with us, it's it's we take it as seriously as we possibly can. We take it as professionally as we possibly can. So when the opportunity came around this year to enter the national competition, we we jumped at it. We were really looking forward to it. Um, we won the regional competitions, which we host in the Nardic, and then we also went on to win the national competition, which was held in University of Galway. Um, so given the win there, it opened up the opportunity to go and represent the college and represent the country at a European Championship level. Um, and I suppose the reason, and as you asked her there about why it's been so long, it's been, it's 2010 was the last time that UCC represented Ireland and the college at, at these championships. And I suppose we're very lucky in that respect that Greg Elverton, the development officer, actually went and managed the team in 2010, and now he's working full-time for the college. So we can lean on that experience. Um, it's, it's very difficult to get, I suppose, funding from external people like the FAI to support futsal, especially in the Munster region. There is a lot of areas that can be improved. We've got a lot of support from the WSCAI, which are the, the college league. They've they've financially supported us and they've been a huge support of us. And the college themselves have also been a huge support of us. Um, Christina Donovan in the sports department and Greg Yelverton have been really, really supportive of us, have given us best opportunity, given the players the best opportunity to go and experience this competition and have, get the experience at the highest level, I suppose, of futsal in a sport that is growing both in Ireland and growing both or as well as um, European wide, I suppose. Yeah, that's very well said. And I've seen firsthand myself just where I live in a rural area like West Cork um, with kids that started out, boys and girls, which is hugely important as well, I think. And it's great to have somebody like Avian speaking so positively about it now as well, as well as yourselves as the coaches, managers. But I've seen the benefits of futsal for young kids before they get out onto the pitch, Stephen, that they get that confidence. You don't have much time, but over a period of time, if you get involved in futsal, your confidence grows on the ball. As you said, you might be stopping it with your soul indoors, you might be doing that outdoors. But is that a key thing for it as well? Like you've got a lot of really talented football footballers on this on the squad list, which I'm going to name out in a minute, including Avine, obviously. But um, the, the benefits here, um, the, whatever about the success, the benefits here, there's a bigger picture here. Long term, is that what you're telling me about futsal in Ireland? It's futsal in Ireland, soccer, college soccer in Ireland is a huge. The whole the whole college scene is a huge area that needs to be, I suppose, exposed more to the public. And it's something that I speak very, very passionately about is trying to get college football seen. There are some top quality players who are playing international level, who are playing League of Ireland level, but also players who are playing local league level who are really, really good players. They're never given the exposure they deserve. So 
something that needs to be driven more. It's something that futsal definitely needs to be driven more. It needs to be supported more, whether it's from locally, locally in the, the League of Ireland, or whether it's from the FAI. I think something needs to be looked at to support it more often. Now, as you, you mentioned there, I've seen myself in small areas and as down in West Cork even, that there is there is there is appetite for soccer, for football, for futsal, and it's something that people don't see. It's nearly a completely different sport and it's it's as more like possible. It's up and down the court a lot. It's very short. The ball stops every time it stops it stops every time the ball goes out. So it's it's a huge area. People who don't really maybe live in the side and transition to play futsal. It's something that is definitely needs to be looked at. How can we support it more? And we're trying to give the girls, and we're trying to support and push everyone who has an interest in the sport, in futsal, to, to, to get where they probably deserve, which is on a national stage. And we're very lucky, and we realise that we're very lucky to be able to go and represent the college and represent Ireland at the European level. You are listening to the Cork Shadow FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast with me, your host, Jeremy McCarthy. We are speaking to members of the UCC Women's Futsal Soccer Team that are heading to the European Futsal Championships next month in Croatia. Um, I'm going to turn now to one of the coaches, Lee Moore. Lee, you've had a fantastic run, uh, winning at home, obviously, in the Mardike. You've won the national competition. How have you been preparing now for, uh, with the greatest respect to who you've played so far, uh, a step up in terms of quality and in terms of technique at the European Championships? What have the preparations been like um, and how have they been going for you? Yeah, so obviously it's going to be a massive opportunity going over and competing on the European stage. Um, obviously with the oppositions that we're going to be playing, it's going to be unknown. Um, unfortunately, we're not going to know how talented they're, they're going to be. But look, we're preparing as best as we can and we had Martin Percival the FAI futsal coach come down from Dublin two weeks ago as Avine said earlier um, to take the training session and he's been a huge help to us and to myself Steve and the rest of the backroom staff and also the players and just to give us that extra insight into futsal because we are learning the game just as much as everyone else and in fairness to their players the players have come on board big time and they've been taking in the information and training you know their commitment throughout the whole season has been fantastic and now, they deserve the opportunity to go express themselves at the European um, Championships in Croatia. It might sound like a strange question, Lee, but as a soccer coach, I know even rudimentary, you can set up a, a kind of a list of drills. You can set up a certain amount of things to do when you're out in a pitch when it's 11 side and you have a big squad. Is futsal different? If you're trying to, how do you coach? Is it, is it a different slant? It's definitely different, yeah. Um, as Avine mentioned earlier, it's played with the sole of the foot, um, so that's something that we focused on straight away in early preparations, getting the players to use the sole of the foot rather than the instep or the outstep, uh, especially when controlling the ball. Um, our training sessions have been high intensity. You know, futsal is a high intensity conditioning game. It's similar to basketball, where it's up and down the court all the time. And when we go to Croatia, the clock is going to be a stop clock, so every time the ball goes out of play, the clock stops. So the games are going to be longer. It's 20 minutes a half. Um, but because of the stop clock, games could be 90 minutes. Um, so it's similar to the regular 11-a-side game like that. But yeah, training, training's been good like that. The players have committed throughout the summer, through the summer season now as well when they're not actually technically in uh, college. And that's all we can ask for is the players give it their all and we'll give it our all and we hope for the best when we go over there. 
Yeah, certainly hope for the best. Um, the UCC Women's Futsal Soccer Squad that is heading to the European Futsal Championships in Croatia in July contains Hannah Walsh from Cork City, Lauren Murphy from Lakewood, Aoife Mitchell from Riverstone, Aoife Slattery from Lakewood, formerly Wexford Youths and Ireland under 19 international, Claire Nevin from Lakewood, uh, Avian Donnelly who's on the line here with us as well from Cork City, Sean McCarthy from Cork City, Laura Lyons Regional United, Laura Shocknessy from Creve Celtic, Cathy Harrison from Sligo Rovers, Jesse Mendez from Cork City, Emma O'Connor from Wilton United and the management team, Stephen O'Keefe the manager, Lee Moore the coach, Sarah Healy the coach and Cornelia Lynn who is the physio. Avian, if I could come back to you um, just finally, uh, th- this sounds like a good committed group. If you've got these players turning up, as, as Lee and Stephen have said during the summer, you're obviously very anxious to do well in this and you've been doing well. Um, what's the mood like in this particular camp? Because it's a lot of players from different clubs and you know how cranky are the coaches to deal with when it comes to coaching? You could be honest here. They haven't been cranky so far anyways. Um, they might be different now once we get to Croatia and they're sick of us. But um, we're definitely a close-knit group anyways. I think we're mostly second, third and fourth year. So we've all kind of been together a good while. And we have so many travelling days as well with the college team. Um, I'm not from Cork, so I like to remind all the rest of them that that Cork is so far away from everything. So it's always long journeys. So, But on those bus journeys, you actually get a lot of, like, that's kind of where everyone gets to chat to each other because, you know, it's more serious during trainings and the matches and stuff. So you actually get to know them a lot better then. And as well, we've been lucky enough to get a few nights away as well. We went, we stayed up in Galway the night before the futsal and we were away in Belfast as well. So we stayed up for that. Um, so you just kind of get close with everyone then. And as well, when you're seeing them two or three times a week, you get to know everyone fairly well. Um, but yeah, we're all just looking forward to it now. That's the main thing. I think we know as well, if we get it right, we can really go over and compete. So hopefully we can bring back another bit of silverware for this year. Very well spoken and you didn't get yourself into too much trouble I would imagine here with the management team on the line as well which is never oh, easy. <laughs> Lee, uh, just finally to you, um, this is different from, from from a club team as we've just mentioned and Avina is very articulated very, very well. Like you've got players from Cork City, we've got Lakewood, Riverstone, Sligo um, as well with Cathy Harrison and, and Creve Celtic and teams like that. It's almost like a divisional football team. You've got to bring these players together. I know they're students and I know they're in the college but to kind of bond them, I think how important was it as Avine outlined there, you know, did you get those nights away and that they get to talk to each other away from the court, you know, and actually um, develop that kind of club mentality? Yeah, I suppose it just comes back to the commitment again. Um, I'm grateful that Steve brought me in to the team this season and I'm still a student of UCC myself. Um, so like that, the experience we had this season as a whole was phenomenal. Um, you know, we did have to travel a lot, as Avine said, um, especially to Belfast. That was a long haul. But the university were kind enough and generous enough to make sure that our preparation was professional and we were looked after just like we would with the men's team and which is obviously something we're always striving for especially in the women's world cup here now with the republic of ireland and yeah you know like avine said there the players get to know each other on the trips away we get to know the players a bit more and um, off the pitch as well you know everyone has lives outside of football so it's important that everyone gets along with each other both on and off the pitch and yeah, thankfully it's been a very successful season. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And the university structure is different to your club team, but I think that's what makes it exciting. It's something different, it's professional. And like that, you're representing your college, which, which is all, always going to be a huge honour. Um, so yeah, like that, now we're really buzzing for Croatia and just looking to do the best we can. 
Excellent stuff. Um, we leave the final word to the manager, as we have to, because, you know, most important voice and all that. But, um, Stephen, you're taking uh, what sounds like a very committed coaching and uh, playing staff across Croatia. Look, it's going to be a step up. It's not going to be easy. Um, how much are you looking forward to it? Because you've already laid a lot of the groundwork here in a very competitive futsal environment, both in Cork and obviously nationally. And to do to achieve what you've already achieved is fantastic. Congratulations on that. But what are the expectations here going to Croatia, even though you don't really know the quality of who you're playing and uh, just anything else you want to add to what's already been a fantastic season for UCC Futsal? Um, like We're under no illusions of what we're going over to. We know that the competition is going to be very difficult. We know the standard of players we're going to play against is going to be higher than what we played here. But it's something we're, we're going to embrace. Something that, that we're going to try and prepare the, the players as best as possible. Um, and I suppose it's something that the players will appreciate in years going forward. And something I always say is you get what you deserve and they deserve this opportunity by winning the, the National Football Championships. They're, they're getting the opportunity they deserve. And college football is something that you can only play for four years. And both men and women, I'm involved in both and I'm lucky enough to be involved in both. I always encourage them to play with the college because you can go play with your club team for the next 10, 15 years. You can only play college football for four years. Um, it's a unique experience for them and it's something that won't always be there. So that's something I definitely would encourage people to, when they are coming to play, especially in the, in the, in the women's game in UCC, it's a very, very open environment for them. It's an environment where we're lucky that we have two squads and a huge amount of credit goes to Mick O'Sullivan, who manages the, 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 the development squad, who puts in huge, huge work. And everyone in UCC soccer deserves a huge amount of credit. Um, we also would like to thank yourself, Joe, for having us on and for the support of Red FM. And it means so much for us to be able to publicise not just the women's futsal, but the women's soccer and women's college, women's college soccer in Cork. Because um, that, that means a lot. And the more we can get out there, the more we can get the word that there is a UCC soccer team for female players. Hopefully, the more benefit that will come in, in, in years to come. Um, we'd also like to thank, I suppose, we had a table because a few weeks ago, Flannery's were very good to host us. And we also have a fundraiser coming up this coming Saturday in the South Link service station. So that's one of the thanks to them for hosting us. That we're doing a car wash this weekend. So all them things mean, all the small things mean a lot for us because it's something that is completely new, completely unknown. Um, but I hope that everyone does support us as best as they possibly can. We'll be as active as we possibly can on social media um, when we're over there. So hopefully people will see how well we're doing and how we're trying to promote the game futsal in Ireland. And we here on the Big Red Bench will be more than happy to uh, let the rest of the world know uh, via your social media channels and when you come back as well, we'll get you back on definitely here on the Women in Sport podcast because it's been fantastic talking to you about something that you don't hear an awful lot about, as you said, Stephen, which is futsal and for women's futsal and for college uh, futsal. But the 2023 European Futsal Championships take place in split Croatia in July. The UCC Women's Football Futsal soccer team will be part of that. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk today to Stephen O'Keefe, the manager, Lee Moore, the coach, and Avine Donnelly from Cork City FC one of the players best of luck to all of you and we look forward to talking to you just before and when you come back from Croatia thanks thanks, thanks for having us on thank you thanks, appreciate it 
Missed the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. Resident Red FM Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to preview the 2023 Austrian Grand Prix. The return of F1's updated sprint format, Saudi Arabia's selling majority stake in McLaren F1 to Bahrain State Investment Fund, Wrexham FC's well-known investors getting involved in Formula One and how gardening leave is affecting Ferrari's attempts to move back up the F1 grid. Now, delighted to be joined as ever here on the Big Red Bench by our resident Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie Foley to preview the Austrian GP and talk about some serious headlines off the track in the world of Formula One this past week. Sarah, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are things? Good, thank you. Yeah, it was a bit, a bit of a loss last weekend, I'm not going to lie, with the lack of sports that I'm interested in actually happening. So I think I'll, uh, I'll enjoy watching a bit of Formula 1 this weekend even more. I'll give you two recommendations. Number one on Netflix, watch the Tour de France uh, heard good series. Things about it that. is yeah. sensational. Um, it is, it's in French, but it is uh, subtitled, but it is so good. The camera angles, mm. lots of crashes, lots of aggro, proper Netflix series. I highly recommend that. And if that's not good enough, Get stuck in the ashes, cricket. I'm going to get bombarded with, uh, oh, with people now on this. Sure. I'm telling you, it is top quality sledging between the Aussies and the Brits. It's so it's something else between what they say about each other on uh, when they're out there. Lovely. Fun. And it was a really good first test. But try those things and let us know how you get on uh, next week. In the meantime, we are not short Formula One things to talk about, Sarah. Starting with the Austrian GP. Um, and something that throws up uh, a different uh, result uh, over the last couple of years, too. Yeah, it's been won by a different team each of the previous three years, which is something that obviously we haven't seen a lot of. So I think hopefully we'll get that variation again. And also rain does tend to be common at that circuit on race weekend. So that's going to pose a bit of a new challenge for the teams because they're going to be dealing with the updated sprint format for this year returning again. And obviously that involves a lot less, you know, managed long runs in free practice and a lot more actual race conditions with the sprints and the qualifying. So I think it'll be really interesting to see whether there's any differences in the performance gap there since we first saw that format a couple of months ago, because obviously in that time, a lot of teams have made strides, whether through upgrades or whatever, finding more performance. So I think it'd be really interesting to see whether any of those gaps have actually closed. And the particular track that we're talking about as well in Austria, um, does it favour, I know there's been different winners as you've outlined and explained why there, but does it favour the Red Bull or is it more inclined to to favour the even uh, the Aston Martin or perhaps the Mercedes or do we know until this weekend when there's so many variables? Yeah, I think unfortunately pretty much, you know, despite what Christian Horner says, I think pretty much every track this year is is Red Bull uh, (laughs) technically is favoured there. But I think other than that, yes, I would say if we if we weren't running the sprint format, I'd say there was probably a bit more, you know, uh, a bit more prediction that could be done. But I think because we are running it and because the weather is likely going to play a factor, I'm hoping that we're going to get more surprises than than we expect. Yeah, I think that's a possibility too. And because Red Bull apart, there's a lot of different clo- or different uh, Formula One teams jockeying for position now and need a positive result. Ferrari coming back into form, Mercedes, you know, finding that pace again. And Aston Martin with Fernando Alonso, um, you know, sticking around the top two or three as well. It's really good to see that. The sprint format and the, and mm. what it brings to F1. What's your take on it now? Because you've mentioned there's going to be an updated format and it's returning again, but is is it more of a distraction or are teams actually buying into it? I was against it at the beginning, 
because I didn't really see, I felt like it was a reach. Mm. I felt like it was just Formula One trying too hard to, you know, recreate the wheel essentially because the format of an F1 race has stood obviously for decades now. And I think in the last iteration, it did, to be fair, provide some additional entertainment. I will say that. But obviously it throws up a huge number of challenges as well. And I think the risk reward question is one that I don't, I still don't feel like I have a good answer for that. I don't know whether every team is pushing as hard in each session during a sprint weekend, because they may be thinking about the risks that are involved in that. And for example, sustaining damage. So I think the the question mark for me with the format remains around is this an even playing field? Or is everyone pushing to the same degree? Because if not, then it's not really racing to me. It's, you know, it's kind of everyone's playing their own game to a certain extent. Yeah, I think that's a fair summation. And it'll be interesting to see what effect, if any, it has uh, at the top of the leaderboard in the Drivers' Championship and certainly in the Constructors' Championship, which is a foregone conclusion at this stage. And before we talk about um, off-track headlines, uh, let's just have a quick check in the 2023 standings. Red Bull, uh, all you need to know is they're way out in front in the Constructors. Eight wins and 12 podiums. The nearest challengers are Mercedes. 321 wins, 167. You do the maths. In the Drivers, it's a bit more interesting. Max Verstappen, who's driving like a champion, looks like a champion in that Red Bull. Six wins and eight podiums. Real consistency from Max this year. 195 points. His teammate, Sergio Perez in the Red Bull uh, is in second place on 126. But Fernando Alonso, the big story of this season I think outside of first lap and so far in the, Mar- in the Aston Martin, up into third with six podiums. Still not without that elusive race win. And then we have uh, Lewis Hamilton, Renaissance in the Mercedes up to fourth and 102. And Carlos Sainz Jr. in the Ferrari, rounding out the top five. Promises to be a fascinating weekend in the Austrian GP, as we just said, and uh, Sarah McKenzie Foley here on the Big Red Bench has outlined, and we will have a full review on next week pod, next week's podcast. Now, plenty of off-track headlines to talk about, Sarah, and we begin with headlines that I've become accustomed to in the, in the football world, in the Premier League side of the world, and in Saudi Arabia. And it's with Saudi Arabia that we start that uh, Saudi Arabia's PIF are selling the majority stake in McLaren F1 team, but who are they selling it to and for how much Yes, so these are shares and warrants worth around four hundred million pounds. So this is not chump change that we're talking about here, and they're being sold to Bahrain's state investment fund. So I think it's sort of apples and apples here to a degree. It's sort of a, a transfer that's happening as opposed to any major change. But it is just interesting, as you say. There's obviously this is a trend that we're seeing, you know, outside of Formula One, also as you said in football and golf it's kind of permeating a lot of the headlines at the moment across the sporting world. And it's just interesting to see which teams it's happening with. I know we have another one as well that we that we want to mention that that's just come out today. But I mean, I, I don't necessarily have... I think in Formula 1 it's tricky because there's so much dodgy money floating around that it's very hard to get on your high horse and say I'm concerned about this when I know in reality there's a lot of this going on and I think unfortunately it's not a trend that I think we're going to see close down anytime soon. So look, it'll be interesting to see whether it means anything in reality. These stakes were originally bought back in 2021 and they actually apply both to the Formula One team and to the supercar element of of McLaren as well. So it's not just the F one team that that's affected here; it's also the the supercar piece. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the supercar piece because I've I've kind of read been reading about it as a, ahead of the podcast. I just think that's tacked on by the people involved here to make mm. it look for that very reason. What and I'll get on my high horse. I think what this is mm. is sports washing, and uh, it is oil rich states with horrible human rights records uh, buying into all sports as many as they can. They've flooded. They've started interfering in the Premier League to the point where they're creating the Super League in Saudi Arabia. They're buying players for huge money and loaning them potentially back to Premier League clubs again, which is, you know, against the spirit of the whole thing. There is supposed to be a, a fit and proper test of Premier League owners. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the biggest, longest running joke in English football. I don't think that's the case. You're right in Formula One. I think there's a lot of money slushing around and a lot of it we know about, a lot of it we don't know about. Yeah. It just worries me greatly when I see headlines like this because it's only a matter of time before Abu Dhabi, before Bahrain, like we've already just seen, or before you see Saudi Arabia, just absolutely flooding Formula One because it's become so popular. It's all over the world via Netflix. The resurgence is partly down to that, but it's also partly down to the fact that America and that particular TV audience is buying in once again. And we've discussed this at length on previous shows. Um, do, am I worried about it? Yes, because, uh, you know, what's it going to mean down the line in two or three years' time? If the resurgence of Formula 1 continues at the level it's going at at the moment, more and more gimmicks, like, you know, the sprints and, and, and races and shorter races, more and more teams potentially coming online as well, which would be a good thing, I think. But at what cost? Every time yeah. uh, an Irish state does this, you know, the people who live there and that are subjected to the regimes and the brutal regimes, the LGBT. Q communities, the gay and homosexual communities that suffer at the hands of these states. It cannot be forgotten. So I'm sorry, but every time I hear Bahrain, Saudi Arabia and all these these huge funds investing in, in, in worldwide sports, I make a point of mentioning that because that's what this is about. They don't have an interest. They have an interest in motorsports, yes, mm-hmm. but they don't have an interest in Formula One except for it to further their uh, public world eye view heading to 2030 when they hope to host the World Cup. Um I don't like it, but I, as you said correctly, there's enough dodgy money with respect to the rest of the Formula One owners here, there and everywhere. Not one specifically, but don't through the years, it's almost impossible to tell. A more pleasant story, though, uh, Sarah, is the one that uh, two uh, very two names very, very familiar to football fans. Again, at Wrexham, actor Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney having invested in Wrexham, taking them back up into the uh, into the Football League, are expanding their sporting portfolio with an investment in the Alpine Formula One team. Now, this is a pretty significant investment because it also involves uh, the actor Michael B. Jordan, who people would know from the Creed films. £200 million. No, not it's it sounds small, but it's a huge amount. But it's twenty four percent share in Alpine. That's a major say in a Formula One, uh, you know, a team on, on the track and doing not not particularly badly. And what I'm most interested in is where you think about this, but where this might go because the likes of McElhenney and Reynolds do this with a view to down the line, eventually making a lot more money by selling on what they've invested in. I presume it's no different here with Alpine. Does it make an immediate difference to Alpine? Um, hmm, that's an interesting one. I don't know whether it will make an immediate difference. I think the benefit, one of the benefits Alpine will see here is that the people that you mentioned that are involved in this group, it's not their first rodeo, right? So they've learned their lessons from the Wrexhams, from the Bournemouths. They've learned what not to do in these investment scenarios. So I think they're probably... They're probably a bit cleverer now at this point than they were before. So that means that they really see this as a positive and, you know, as you said, a good investment for the future. I th- I do find it interesting that it's an American group investing in a European F1 team when they did have the option 
of investing in an American Formula One team. I think that's something that, you know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in, in those scenarios when they're uh, deciding who who they were going to invest in. But equally, I think it's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I've seen what they've done with Wrexham. I think it's it's fantastic. And I think that they, again, it's all about making Formula One more connected to things that aren't Formula One because it has been in a very insular bubble for so long and it's taken things like Drive to Survive to get it out of that bubble and to reach the masses. So I think this is another step in that direction. And, you know, hopefully it will bring positive positive benefits to Alpine. I think certainly in the form of partnerships and sponsorships and things like that, I think it'll be a, a big benefit. But as I say, a big American group investing in a French team with two French drivers. It's just it's just interesting. I'm mm. just curious. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. And that's a very good mm. point, actually, the fact that I hadn't actually put connected those dots, but that's what you're the expert on this show, that it wasn't actually an American team they invested in. Fascinating to see what happens there and fascinating to see what happens at McLaren over the coming weeks and months. We're going to keep a close eye on that. Finally, issues about gardening leave and Ferrari. Oh, my goodness. Sarah, tell us more. Yeah, so to be fair to Fred Vasser, we've mentioned that he's kind of bringing a, a bit of a fresh take to Ferrari since he took charge of the team. He's been a lot more transparent and not just sort of, you know, assuming that they always make the right decisions. He's explained a bit further why they're having such difficulty in the rebuild that they're currently trying to execute. And some of it is based around trouble hiring. So as we know, Formula One's teams poach from each other all of the time their best most senior staff they're always looking to poach people from other teams so the way that they safeguard against that is to give someone a really really long notice period you know we've seen some things announced already this year where people can't start until January 2024 so that's a really long gardening leave period and also Ferrari are one of the one of only four teams on the F1 grid that are actually based outside of the UK which is where the vast majority of the talent base for Formula One teams would be. And, you know, when you think about it, these are issues that are faced by every business. You know, any business that's hiring faces problems with hiring. But I think the real thing this shows is the decline in Ferrari's brand value, because we can assume that when they were winning, or at least when they were in good standing, better standing than they are now, they didn't have these problems to this degree you know, they were able to hire partially based on we're Ferrari. Of course, you want to work for us. And I think both with drivers and obviously now with team staff, they don't seem to have that bargaining chip. It doesn't have as much value. It doesn't hold as much water as it used to. And I think that's the big thing that I'm reading into this is kind of my concern really is about what Ferrari means to people in modern day Formula One. That's a really interesting point. I think that's something I'd like to come back to as well because it's it's interesting you mentioned my generation, he said, the old man on, on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. I remember Schumacher dominating in a Ferrari. I remember Eddie Irvine winning a Ferrari. I remember Jean Alessi. I remember Gerhard Berger in the good years when Ferrari looked good and also really raced hard and were good as well. I don't know if they're that far off at Sarah at the moment. I think a couple of tweaks Things like the, you just mentioned there, but certainly I don't think they're far off. I think they need a new driver lineup. I'm, I'm going to stick with that. Um, 
But that's very interesting, the point you make about only four teams in Britain being the hub of where the talent is and why Ferrari are doing what they're doing. And as you said, for a new generation, they are not the attraction, perhaps, that they are to us and the people uh, that I've spoken about. And I think that's something definitely we'll come back and have a chat about um, because I think it's an interesting subject. For now, though, we have uh, the... uh, the Austrian Grand Prix to look forward to the next round of the Formula 1 2023 Championship takes place on Sunday the 2nd of July at the Red Bull Ring uh, with a 2 o'clock Greenwich Mean Time start we'll have a full review of all the talking points on that in next week's show but in the interim Sarah what have you got coming up across your social media channels? Yeah, so you'll find me live tweeting during the race weekend at MacTweets underscore. And I've also just put out a video on my YouTube channel. I kind of teased it last week on the podcast, but I've been chatting about whether Formula One is starting to lose positions to other racing series like IndyCar and NASCAR. So that's generated some some pretty spirited debate in the YouTube comments. So if you want to find that, you can search Sarah McKenzie F1 on YouTube and it's right there. Um, that's mean, that means it's working, Sarah. So excellent. I'm going to have a listen to that now, definitely. <laughs> listen, thanks once again for your time here on the Big Red Bench and we look forward to your review of the Austrian Grand Prix on next week's show. Thanks, Jer. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork LGFA Senior Manager Shane Ronan joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to preview the Rebels' must-win All-Ireland LGFA Championship Group 4 clash with Tipperary in Clonakilty on Saturday. But first, I sat down with Clonakilty LGFA chairperson Yvonne Ryan to talk about the West Cork Club getting to host their second high-profile ladies football championship match of the year, the huge amount of work that goes into preparing their Ahamela GAA complex and the community spirit that will help deliver another positive match day experience. Delighted to be joined now here on the Big Red Bench by Clonakilty LGFA club chairperson Yvonne Ryan um, of the ladies football arm of that particular club down in West Cork because uh, Ahamilla, the complex where Clonakilty LGFA, Clonakilty Camogie and Clonakilty GA club reside are hosting their second big high profile LGFA game this year. Uh, Yvonne, first of all, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me, Jer. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. Um, obviously, earlier in the year, there was a lot of excitement down around West Cork because the Ahamilla Complex in Clonakilty hosted a Munster LGFA game between Cork and Waterford for the first time. Talk to us about how successful that day was and the community effort behind making it such a, such a success, which has led now to this all-earning game coming to Clonakilty as well. Yeah, so I suppose the day that we held it, um, it was extremely successful. Um, everybody was delighted with the way it went, um, from the organisation to the stewards to the mini games to I suppose the weather, the sunshine on us. Everything just went to exact what we wanted. The position was great, and I suppose Monster Council were extremely happy um, with the date. Shane Ronan was absolutely delighted. I spoke to Shane on the day. And Shane said he has never, ever experienced anything like it, the atmosphere. So I thought that we did um, encourage the support of West Cork and they definitely came out with all the underage. And he said the difference with being in such a compact area compared to, you know, being in Parky Ring or Parky Keeve and being lost, that he said the atmosphere drove them on. It was great. And he he did say to me on the day, he said, Yvonne, if we get the chance, to come to Clannacilty again if we can get um, a home game he said we're definitely going to come down so um, the community spirit as I said as you say got behind it we just all came together the GA the LGFA and from everything from the stewards to you know doing the lotto to the car parking to the mini games to the shops and we all just came together and I said it ran like clockwork on the day Monster Council said it was the biggest crowd that they've had at a ladies football game this year 
Yes, and congratulations once again to everybody involved on that. It was there in the day, and I can vouch for everything you just said. I suppose the important yeah. thing from your point of view, Yvonne, and from you know not just Conor Kilty but West Cork's point of view, now this coming weekend on Saturday, a TG Cahar All Ireland Senior Championship Group Four clash, and a very very important game for both Cork and Tip. Throwing it at two o'clock in Conor Kilty, you've shown that you can run this kind of host this kind of match. Now you've got a really important All Ireland yeah. Championship match, a step up from the provincial championship. Um, a lot riding on this game following Tipperary's defeat to Galway today and Cork as well coming in needing a victory there's going to be a, a big atmosphere around this particular game you must be delighted to get the chance to host an even more important match Absolutely when we got the call a couple of weeks ago it was from Ken O'Connell first I got a message and then Marion Crowley saying would we be available again like that I just got on to the GA they made sure that there was no men's championship game and they said straight away go for it so um, no, we haven't done an awful lot yet of the advertising. Obviously, it's been up, but this week now we will be, you know, advocating that we've had our own fundraiser this morning and we just couldn't bombard everybody with all the text. So we were delighted. Um, I suppose we've the groundwork done, we've the homework done, so we actually know what's involved. Um, now, Munster Council, as Marion Cole told me, won't be involved. It's, it's, they're all coming from Croke Park this time, so we're delighted to be welcoming um, the officials from Croke Park, um, Chahamilla. So we know what's ahead of us. We know what we need to do. And it's just to repeat the same and hopefully encourage lots of support. We are aware it is clashing with, you know, a big fair in Clannacilty. It is holiday season time, but we really do hope that everyone will come out and support. As you say, it's a big game. It's a must-win game for Cork. So I really hope that everybody comes out um, and supports them. Now, we are having the mini-games, and what we've decided this time is Marion Crowley has sent out an email to every club in Cork, and I think some in tip, tip might be coming, and there's huge interest. So their names are going into the draw at the county board meeting tomorrow night to draw, and that will hopefully bring more people from all over down to support the girls. Yes, and those mini games that you held during the Cork and Waterford Munster Championship game were a big, big success. A lot of young girls out on a fantastic Amilla pitch in front of a big stand. They love the experience. So any club lucky enough to get this opportunity, um, it's a lovely moment for them and for their families. Oh, yes. It's, a, it's an honour and it's proud. And Now, I think kind of guilty because we're the host club, we can do it. This time we're doing under 10. The last time we did under 8. But as, as the Marin Coley said, there's huge interest. So hopefully... That in itself will bring girls, will bring parents. And then the other aspect, as you say, for the girls, the Cork seniors after they won the match, they were all out on the pitch. They're not used to that. They were getting their jersey signed, their ball signed. The Cork ladies gave them an amount of time and they were so delighted with all of that as well. And the smallies loved it. Um, raising the profile of ladies football is not an easy thing to do Yvonne as you know very well. It's something mm-hmm. that is a constant job um, both through social media, both through the the news and watch through radio but West Cork putting its best foot forward here to host an All-Ireland Senior Championship game is another important step not just for West Cork but for the whole county as well East, Mid and North because there's clubs as well that have the facility to do this if Clan can show that it can be done there's no reasons no reason whatsoever that other clubs can't follow suit in years to come Absolutely um, like I know there's a bit of work involved but I suppose we're very lucky in Clan Kilty that we do have the facility. Um, we do have the pitches, we have the dressings, we have the grounds, we have the media, we can, you know, feed with the catering facility. So we're very lucky. But as you say, there is no reason if someone has the facility why they can't do this and show, you know, showcase their own club and promote ladies football because that's what we're doing for West Cork. 
but we want to promote ladies football in general. Uh, very well said. Um, one of the things I think the big bonuses with how well the Cork and Waterford game ran the last day in the Ahmeda Complex was the fact that a lot of fans arrived early. There was parking and ample parking available for them. You would hope that any supporters wishing to make the journey this time around would do the same. It's a two o'clock throw in, but as you said, in the town of Clonakilty on the day itself, there's a lot happening. So the earlier you get there, the more time you have to relax and get in and get to your seat. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I suppose for people to know, I suppose. As you said, there's a big fair on, there's a South of Ireland band championship. So the main street in Clannacilty is closed all day. So traffic will be huge, people will be coming via the bypass. Uh, so we would be advocating that people come early. We'll have the parking stewards, hopefully weather permitting, that the sun will shine enough that we will be using the field next door for parking as well. And then obviously if they come early, they can see the girls, you know, warm up, how they warm up. We'll have the shop facilities, we'll have different things. So, you know, I would, you know, advocate that everybody come early and, and get their seats because I hope we'll have a big crowd. So, on Saturday, this weekend coming, the TG Cahar All-Ireland Senior Football Championship, LGFA Group 4, Round 3, Cork versus Tipperary in the Ahmeda Complex in Clonakilty in West Cork. Throw-in is at 2 o'clock. And as we said, if you are travelling to that particular game, and we hope that a huge uh, number of fans come out like they did the last day, that you get there as early as you can. Before I let you go, Yvonne, we're not too far away from the Cork County Senior Club Championships. They're just around the corner. I know you're heavily involved with Clonakilty once again this year. Uh, you've been going yeah. on, going well in the league it's a young panel this year but it's something I know that you're looking forward to when the senior championship comes around and what can you tell us about Clannacilty's prospects well I suppose we did okay in the league I w- I'd say we wouldn't do great now we came up against some very good teams um, so I suppose we had five games yeah four before and one last week so we won two but as you say we have a very young panel and I suppose this year for the first year it's unprecedented we actually have ten leaving certs which is an awful lot out of our panel. So therefore, we didn't put in the second team into the county. So we've been missing a lot of players. Every match that we've gone out so far in the league this year, um, we've had a completely different team. People have played, the girls have played in different positions. Even so, now in against Inch on Thursday night just gone, we had one of the youngest panels. We were missing about eight or nine of our starting 15, which is a lot. But we won by a point. It was a great game. So... We're hoping that once the season starts over, holidays are over, we've lost a couple of big players this year um, that are moving to Australia, so they're a big loss. But we've young young miners uh, stepping up to the plate. So hopefully once we get everyone back and back training, we'll try and give it um, a good go. Um, we're up against this year. We have Vals, we have Kinsale, we have Aerobe, and we have Inch, I think, in the championship. So... Yeah, we'll, we'll try our best. But as I said, we've a very young team and we've lost quite a few players this year. I don't doubt that for a second that you'll be trying mm-hmm. your best and you'll have, as you said, a young team, um, much mm-hmm. like a yeah, lot of our clubs in this year's championship. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, Yvonne, um, on behalf of everybody here at yeah. the Big Red Bench, we wish you and all involved in this Saturday's TG Cahar Ireland Senior Championship Group 4 Round 3 clash between Cork and Tipperary at 2 o'clock at the Ahmeda Complex. We wish you all the best with your organisation. We know the day is going to run swimmingly because we've seen it in action already between Cork and Waterford, but we hope it goes well for you. And uh, all the best and thank you for taking the time to talk to us here on Cork's Red FM. Now, once again, delighted to be joined uh, on Hi. the Big Red Bench here by the Cork LGFA Senior Manager, Shane Ronane, ahead of this weekend's TG Car All-Ireland Senior Championship Clash with Tipperary in West Cork. Shane, you're very welcome back to the bench. Hi, Joe. 
Uh, good to talk to you again. Now, I know you've had a very busy time, so I appreciate you taking time out. Uh, you had a, a first-hand look at Tipperary and Galway's All-Ireland Senior Championship match last Sunday, which Tipperary lost 4-10 to 3-4. Um, I know you know Tipperary very well from your time involved with them, but what did you see last weekend um, that impressed you the most ahead of what's a, a crucial game for both counties next weekend? Yeah, look, I, I think maybe the scoreline is maybe is a bit, uh, you know, a bit unfair on Tipperary. Uh, you know, they were very competitive for a lot of the game. Uh, you know, just after half time, it was down to two points. Um, Galway broke away and got and got a goal again. But look, they put a lot of dangers. Obviously, Asher Maloney scored two goals with um, you know, high balls coming in. You know, she was she's so effective in the air. And Galway had three players on her at, at times, and she was still, you know, being effective. So like that's something we really have to look at. Um. You know, I thought they, they defended very well at times. Tipperary you know, got bodies back. Um, you know, they Emma Morrissey got a couple of great points from midfield. You know, I suppose they they, they did defend well, but you know, maybe the scoreline doesn't look reflect that. But you've got got a couple of goals there near the end. You know, when I suppose when the when the fight was going out of the game, but I think that um, look, we have to be at our absolute best. I think next next one, sorry, next Saturday against um, against Tip because look, both teams are in the same position. A win for either team. Put them in a quarter-final. So the tip of nothing to lose going down there. Look, we're going to be favourites, but they have nothing to lose. And I suppose they, they ran us very, very close the last day. Three points. It could have even, could have even been closer. So we're going to have to be an absolute, you know, absolute guard and, 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 and perform to our best. Yeah, I was going to mention um, the fact that it's not like you haven't seen Tipperary already this season and you know each other quite well and that's going to make it probably a very, very tight game. But the fact that you're going back to West Cork, Shane, how happy are you to be going back to Clonakilty in the Ahamilla Complex, um, hosting for the first time ever an All-Ireland Senior Championship game, having hosted your game with Waterford in the Munster uh, Championship earlier this year? Yeah, look, we're delighted because, you know, we spoke after the game. Lots of people were, you know, asking, would we do it again? And we said, look, if we got the opportunity, we would, because, uh, you know, the, the setup that day was fantastic, the support we got. Um, you know, we obviously got a very good result as well. So, the, you know, the Romans are good that way. Look, we're delighted to be going back down west again uh, next weekend, and um, it's it's a great opportunity again for for us to showcase what we can do down in West Cork. And as I said, the support last day was phenomenal. The set up from the Clannacilty GA and from Clannacilty Gaelic Football Club, you know, was top notch. And look, we're hoping for something similar um, on Saturday because look, we we do need the support. You know, last Saturday night above in Galway, Galway had plenty of support there, and. You know, it, it, it does make a difference in the you know maybe the, the closing stages of the game. If this game is tight, you know that extra roar from the from the standing clan will, will be very helpful. Yeah, you mentioned how how tight a game this is going to be. Even today, watching Armagh with a last minute penalty to beat Mayo, uh, Meath haven't been put to their pin of their collar by Waterford before winning one thirteen to one eight, and Dublin obviously doing what Dublin do against Cavan. But it's a very tight championship this year, Shane. I mean, look, getting to the I know you've tunnel vision at the moment, and all you're interested in is getting to that quarter final. You've got to get over tip to do it. But this year's championship, it just seems so evenly balanced. There's no outright favourite, and there's just every game seems to have something at stake. Yeah, look, I think one of the selectors texted me today and he said that, you know, it looks like the second seed, second team who comes second in the group would have been probably favoured in most of the groups, you know, the way it's, way it's working out. And I think that's, we said that ourselves last weekend after the Galway game, that look, that game was put to bed. If we did our business against Tipperary, uh, we'd, we'd qualify for, for an All-Ireland quarterfinal and it, the only difference it would be would be we'd be away from home. The quality of the opposition is going to be the exact same. Whether you're home or away is the only difference. And I think, you know, the eight teams who will be left in it, hopefully one of them includes ourselves. You know, 
any of them can beat each other on the day. The championship is very, very open. You know, you, like today there, you know, the the Mayo and Armagh game, you know, down to, down to the wire again, you know, it looked like Armagh uh, were beaten. They were probably looked at beaten at half time as well. But they, you know, last kick of the game, they, they, they win it. And, you know, that puts them in pole position. You know, they, they have the group one now. So, they, you know, they're, they're, they have a home game. So, me, Donegal, next next week, no more than ourselves in Tipperary. Shootout, that's a shootout to top the group. So it's 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 very evenly balanced, and you know we know that uh, whether we um, you know you know if we get through next weekend, uh, it's going to be a very tough game wherever we're travelling to, and I'm sure the opposition, whoever draws us in the draw, won't be won't be relishing it either if we get through. Certainly not. Um, from a management point of view, Shane, you've been here before ahead of big matches. The week leading into it, when it's such an intense, condensed championship, and you know you may or may not be carrying injuries, certain players might have niggles. How difficult is it to plan for the week leading into such a big, which is effectively a knockout game against Tip? Does anything change from what you've already planned, or do you have to just mind players? Because, as I said, the season now inter county is so condensed. You know, we've seen it in the men's side of things as well. Fatigue, little niggles. How do you approach that final week with you and your backroom team? Yeah, look, I suppose we've we've adapted over the years to our, um, to, to what we do. Um, look, we the, we probably finish up with all the the hard stuff on the Tuesday night. You know, of, of the start of the Saturday week game. And Thursday night then is a, you know, is a light session where I suppose you're just getting the players doing a few basic skills and things like that. Whereas before, we might have done a lot of tactical stuff on the last night. We, we're tending to come away from that now um, and just let the players relax on the last night, have a good, short, sharp and intense session. I think that look, that's, that's coming from experience and where they, what's working best with the players. So, and look, the niggles and injuries, you're hoping like this, that, that they can all come through that. And obviously on the, the last night then, that those, some of those players might even have to sit out that session if needs be because we look we have certain players who are who can't do all the field sessions all the time because uh, of recurring injuries and I suppose mileage on the, on the clock and things like that but you know you, look, you learn from experience and I think the camp is very determined very relaxed at the moment um, very disappointed with themselves uh, you know there was a good you know in Paris they had a meeting themselves last week and they put their hands up as I knew they would and said look we, were, we aren't didn't do the things we should do against Galway we need to be better the next 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 day, and they know the next day. Then if they, if they don't do it next Saturday, then that's the end of the championship for 2023 with with Cork, and that's certainly not where we want to be. You know, out of, out of the championship on the first of July. Yeah, just just before I let you go, um, the fact that the players went and had that meeting, I know you know these players inside out, not just this year, but down through the years and seeing them come through the ranks at club level and now inter county. How gratifying is it for you and your management team that, you know, the motivation and the self-belief and the self-motivation to own things that might have gone wrong in a previous game, the players take this on board. How much of a boost does that give you as a manager and your and your own backroom team and selectors when you see the players taking accountability and willing, you know, to meet and then to, to try and right the, whatever the wrongs were of that day? These things happen in all these kind of matches. People make mistakes, things go against you. But when you see the players taking that responsibility, Shane, it must be something that gives you a lot of pride and gives you a lot of hope and focus heading into the tip game. Look, absolutely. We, we, I suppose, we are trying to empower the players and create leaders within the group, and we have a lot of leaders. And I think the fact that they they look for that meeting themselves, I suppose, as a management, we met a couple of times last week and went through where we went wrong, and what we need to be better on, and what look at was tactically what we need to do. But for the players to do that, I think is look, it's fantastic, and it's a great sign of uh, of them taking ownership of it, uh, showing leadership. Um, and, and, and look that's the standards they're setting for themselves they knew the standards that they set for themselves that we you know, probably met in the Munster Championship 
we didn't meet them all. And that's not being disrespectful to Galway because, look, we can't control what Galway do. We have to control what we do ourselves. And I think, look, I'm very happy with the way the week has gone with with, with, with Cockers. And I think, you know, they, hopefully we'll see the, you know, the results of that on Saturday in in, in and and we and we get the result we need. On Saturday, the 1st of July, the TG Cahar All-Ireland Senior Championship Group 4 third-round clash between Cork and Tipperary. Throw-in is at 2 o'clock in the Ahamela Complex in Clonakilty. Everybody here in the big red benches, as ever, is behind you, Shane, and the players. The very, very best of luck, and we hope you get the result you're looking for. Thanks very much, John. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.